0: Good evening. All right, before we get started, we'll just uh, open up in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this morning's message, uh, we just pray and ask that we would decrease and you would increase as we open up your word. Um, I pray that the message spoken tonight would be for your glory uh, and it would um, do work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of us have that friend or relative who brings you news of a great idea or tells you something they have just done and they're really excited about it. Uh, But it's bad. It's really bad. From start to finish, beginning, middle, end, uh, it's a bad idea. Uh, But what's even more startling is you tell them it's a bad idea. You build a great case with solid evidence of why you shouldn't do this. And they completely disregard you and they go on with their plans. Uh, Sometime later, they might even come back to you shocked that this blew up in their face and they'll be asking for sympathy and a pity party even though you counseled them and told them you shouldn't have done that. Uh, You might even start to question their mental sanity at that point and ask, what's going on in their head? Um, But if I told you we are all plagued with this issue that we all suffer from spiritual insanity, and that's more than a brain issue, it stems from the heart. Uh, So, tonight's passage, um, we will discuss um, and explain this spiritual insanity in Jeremiah chapter 2, and that can be found on page 664 in our Pew Bibles. So, Jeremiah chapter 2, page 664. A little bit of context... Jeremiah is a prophetic book. Jeremiah was elected to be a prophet for the people of Israel, the Israelites. Um, And at this point in uh, the time period for Israel, uh, they are split up into two kingdoms. There is some inner turmoil. Um, There's the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, has already been overtaken by the Assyrians. And now... Jeremiah has been elected to warn Judah that this, um, because, to warn Judah, they have sinned against God and forsaken him, and the destruction that the northern kingdom, Israel, had will trickle down to them. And this is a result of God's judgment because they have sinned against him. So we will read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The word of the Lord came to me, going and announced directly to Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it found themselves guilty. Disaster came on them. This is the Lord's declaration. Hear the word of the Lord, house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says: "What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me, followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves?" They stopped asking, "Where is the Lord? Who brought us from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled through and where no one lived? I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty, but after you entered, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. The priests quit asking, where is the Lord? The the experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. Therefore, I will bring a case against you again. This is the Lord's declaration. I will bring a case against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and take a look. Send someone to Gadar and consider carefully. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be appalled at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolate. This is the Lord's declaration. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. God calls out many sins on Judah, but he summarizes it all up in verse 13. He gets right to the point and exposes their hearts. And this is where our focus will be tonight, on verse 13. For God stated, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Here are the two main points for tonight. The first point, man was created to live with God in his presence, to live from a fountain of living water. Second point, if we seek to live apart from God, we will die. How our text reads it, if we dig our own cisterns, we will die. The double evil God charges Israel with is not solely their issue. This is a charge against mankind as a whole. We all fall under this sin. To understand this pattern of sin, we need to see that this sin has plagued mankind altogether, and it's in our own individual hearts as well. As we read and see Judah's relationship with God, I want to reference the creation and fall of man in Genesis to hopefully aid in understanding this double evil that God charges us with. So let's first look at Judah's relationship with God at the time of Jeremiah. Judah was God's chosen people. God told them, you'll be my people and I will be your God. The Israelites came up as a nation because Abraham was promised by God, I will bless you with a nation. And that nation will bless many others. So they, Israelites, are the byproduct of that promise. God reminds them of who they were or who they once were when they were his people and they were faithful to him. In verses 2 and 3 in Jeremiah, God says, I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it found themselves guilty. Disaster came on them. God recalls when Israel was faithful to him in his covenant promise. They were his first fruits. They were blessed by him. Anyone who threatened them was destroyed. Why? Because they were God's people. They lived in the promised land. They lived with God, who was their greatest blessing. Like a bride married to the groom, they worshipped and they were faithful to him. This parallels the creation of mankind in Genesis 1.26. God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And not only were we made in his image, we also bear his spirit. Genesis 2 7 states, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into him. And the man became a living being. Man was given physical, mental, and spiritual life to bear the image of God. God also made a covenant with man in the garden. He put man in the garden to work it and to be fruitful. Man was blessed with everything on earth that God had made, including, and most importantly, himself. Like the Israelites and man in the garden, man's best gift was living in the presence of God. So we start to see this pattern between God and mankind. God creates man in his image and puts him in the garden with a covenant. God also brings up the nation of Israel says you are my people, I am your God and he puts them in the promised land again with a covenant but what happens? in Jeremiah chapter 2 we see that Judah abandons God we are told of a double evil or some translations two sins when God makes a covenant with the people of Israel his first command to them and the most important was do not have any other gods besides me all the commands and laws given after that stem from this first command. And Judah breaks it. In verse 5, God charges them. He says, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me? That they follow worthless idols and became worthless themselves. We also see in verse 11 a, a poor exchange. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods at all. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless gods. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, Paul also describes this bad exchange. He says, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the creator. They worshipped many little gods. Man-made ones. Judah also makes alliances with other nations when they felt threatened. They look to the world for protections as a means to live and dwell instead of God. They forget God's promises. They forget the miracles and wonders he showed them, bringing them through the wilderness into the promised land, triumphing over many nations, bringing them out of slavery from Egypt. They forget all this, and they look to the world again for protection and to prolong their life. We see a similar story with the fall in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, You may eat from any tree in the garden, but not from the tree of good and evil. If you eat it, you will die. This was part of the covenant promise. God said, I will give you everything. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what happens? They eat the fruit. God gives the Israelites one command. You will not have any other gods besides me. And what do they do? They have many gods. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, you may have everything, but you just do not eat the fruit. And they eat the fruit. In both cases, God is abandoned. But abandoning God was only one part of the two evils that God charges them with. God charges Judah with two evils. Along with abandoning God, we have this metaphor of digging cisterns, the second of the two evils. A cistern is a basin or a structure to hold water, usually from rainwater runoff. So how does God use this metaphor? He is saying, you have left me, the fountain of living water, abundant water. You do not have to go anywhere else because I am the fountain of it. It comes from me. But he says, you have left it to go live somewhere else, living off your own source of water. God says, these cisterns are cracked. He is saying they are no good and cannot sustain them. But did Judah really leave God knowing that they would not survive? Did they really go and put all their chips in on cracked cisterns? Did they really say to God, God, we are tired of being blessed by you. We do not want good things from you anymore. We are going to live apart from you and die. No, that's not their thought process. These cracked cisterns or other means of living appeared to be sufficient and usable. They had to have some appeal to them for them to leave to leave the Lord. And one of them was worshipping many other gods. They were prophesy by Baal. Baal was uh, a god of fertility, so to say or he would bring uh, good weather for crops. They worshipped these little gods because they were man-made idols and satisfied the evil desires of their hearts, usually giving them earthly riches and fulfilling sexual desires. Shortly before the time of Jeremiah, when the Assyrians were the superpower nation of the time period, Judah made an alliance with the Assyrians. They thought, if we are to live and prolong our nation, we must make a deal with Assyria. Because they are chewing up and spitting out all their nations. And if we want to live, we're going to have to do something. So they made a deal. But this backfires on them. Yes, they were safe for a short time, but they were not free. They had to pay the Assyrians a large fee for this protection. And they were counted as a kingdom under Assyria, not their own. And what came of the Assyrians after this? The Babylonians. The Babylonians wiped them out. The Assyrians were no longer the biggest kids on the block at that point. The deal Judah made with the Assyrians was no longer valid, and now they feared the Babylonian invasion. And that is where they are at right now in Jeremiah chapter 2, as Jeremiah prophesies to Judah. This evasion would eventually lead them into enslavement. They would be taken out of the promised land. Their false gods did not give them long-lasting provisions, and their worldly alliances had failed them. These were their cracked cisterns that they were living off of instead of living in the presence of God and being faithful to him. We have a similar story with Adam and Eve. Eve knew eating the tree would lead to death. The serpent doesn't straight up tell Eve, yes, God is right, you will eat the fruit, you will die if you eat the fruit, but hey, let's take a bite of it anyway. No, the serpent deceived Eve and says, No, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, you will be like Him and your eyes will be opened. Adam and Eve pursued knowledge to make them like God, equals, or to rule themselves. This was their cracked cistern that fueled eating the fruit. And they got what they wanted, they got the knowledge. But this also came with a price. The knowledge gained did not make them like God. They were separated, no longer living with him. Sin. This sin the consequence for the sin was to get kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of the Lord. The common denominator between Judah and the fall in the garden is they both forsake God for what seems to be better. Our hearts deceive us. It will twist and manipulate God's commands and truth. So that it appears that what is outside of the Lord's commands is better. And this will fulfill us. Now looking at us in present day, what do we struggle with? How do we abandon God? What are our cracked cisterns that we try to live from apart from God? There are some big in-our-face examples. Politics being a large one. Each party tells us something we want to hear And promises us the world. But we know this is not true. For one party to win, another must lose. And we have this vicious cycle. One party wins and the other falls into despair, and the people lose hope because their salvation was in that party and is not triumphant. So their hope gets rattled. Society tells us freedom is our hope and salvation. We have to be free from everything free from men free from God even our bodies are oppressing us now we can free ourselves by changing our genders but even this ultimate freedom is destroying us this is not how God intended us to live society is also fickle you will work hard to conform to society and it will tell you exactly how to live in that moment of time and it tells you to put all your chips in the very society that accepts you in one generation will cancel you out in the next this double evil is also prevalent in our everyday lives putting this these verses in front of me and living out these verses every day you start to realize how small and stupid the things are that you give into instead of being faithful to the Lord Uh, it's easier to give in to porn or have a sexual relationship outside of marriage because we don't have a spouse or are tired of waiting. or a spouse that God has given us is not enough, so we produce our own means and go outside of what God has ordained or given us. We look at our jobs as sources of, of life. God may promise to bless us and provide us, but that might not be up to our standards at the time, so we chase money and promotions. We, don't, we fear saying no to our bosses or our jobs, fearing a loss of money or the loss of the job itself. So what are we to do? If we have abandoned God, and we are all in this situation, and it's a heart issue at the root of it, how can this be fixed? Each time man is unfaithful to God... God has been merciful. He is faithful and keeps his promises even when we are not. In the Garden of Eden, before they are cast out of the garden, God promises redemption through the seed of the woman. He curses the serpent and says the seed of the woman will crush your seed. Meaning that the sin that came about in the garden will be crushed by the woman's seed. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, God shows a foreshadowing of the gospel. When the Babylonians take over Judah, capture them, they enslave them, and they are exiled to a foreign land, and they are apart from God, they are apart from the promised land. But God says that he will bring redemption to them. He says here, in in a new covenant to uh, the Israelites. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of the greatest of them, this is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. God makes a covenant promise with man, with Israel, and they can't hold it. Their hearts do not love him, and eventually stray away, and they're unfaithful. So God intervenes again by grace, and he says, I'm going to produce a new covenant, one that man cannot break. Because I'm going to have this covenant written on their hearts. He is foreshadowing the return, not only of Israel to the promised land, but the promise of Jesus Christ, the gospel to fix our heart problems. Jesus is our only way to return to God. Jesus Christ takes the responsibility for our sins by dying on the cross. Not only does he wipe away our sins, he brings us the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit dwells in us, gives us hearts to love God, to want to be righteous, and gives us the faith to believe in Jesus Christ, that when we have faith in him, we will have eternal life. Bow with me now as we uh, pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you for your grace and mercy that you have on us, that you would give us Jesus Christ um, to redeem us from our sins um, and give us new hearts, Lord, to love you. Pray as we go throughout our week, Lord, that we would put ourselves before your word, before your commands, before um, you as a holy and righteous God, and see that we have sinned and that we have strayed away. I pray, Lord, that we would confess our sins to you, see our faults, and and see that Jesus Christ has taken the consequences for this. In your name we pray. Amen.